I was thinking about it this week, and Jonathan very much, his name, um, I don't know if y'all know the story of David and Jonathan in the scripture, um, but they were like buds. They were like this. And Jonathan was a faithful friend. And I can truly say above anything else that I would say, for me personally, Jonathan has been a faithful friend in my life for a really long time. And I love you, buddy. And I'm thrilled you're here. Um, but I was also thinking about that. And, you know, the reality is Jonathan is a David. He's a David. He is a psalmist who worships the Lord. He's a shepherd of people. He's a giant slayer. And he's a truly a man after God's own heart. That's my friend, and I'm delighted that he's here to share some stuff with us this morning. So I love you, buddy. I love you. And uh, come on. Can we give him a big hand this morning? Insert joke about closing in prayer here, because why talk after that? Um, Man, this was sweet, y'all. Okay, so um, driving up this morning was, was... a super surreal experience because this is where we started. This is like, and I'll, I'll get into the story, but like it's been a very long time since I've dro- driven up to a school and walked into a cafeteria and done just enough setup to make Alex and Jake think that I was helping and then like disappeared into a room um, to prepare. And it, it's just incredible because this is like speakers on sticks and curtains and a cafeteria and it's just incredible. Now, I do want to point out something, but you know when you see something all the time, you kind of stop seeing it? Yes. Well, if you guys have been in this room a bunch, there's something in this room that you have all probably at this point stopped seeing. But I don't remember ever in my life leading worship with a knight slaying a dragon yeah. right in front of me before. And if you want to be inspired as a worshiper and a worship leader, it's like, dragon, you about to get it. And like, as we were worshiping this morning, it's just like, mm-hmm, you see? Because y'all were the knight, and that's the dragon. Because, see, he's not a white horse. Do you notice that? Like, that's not Jesus. That's a black horse. That's got to be you. That's got to be you with the sword of the Lord. Just like, come on, devil. Um, so I just wanted to point out something you probably stopped seeing. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit of, of my story uh, quickly, and then we'll, we'll talk about worship. How about that? Um, so I grew up uh, in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, forever. I went from the hospital nursery to the church nursery. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was the weird kid that like in fourth grade was like, I'm almost to youth group. Fifth grade, I'm getting closer. At that time, youth group didn't start till uh, seventh grade. Sixth grade, I'm almost, and I was so excited, like just weird, but that was like how I grew up. I grew up with a faithful father, a praying mom in a Baptist church. So I learned um, like on the flannel graph, they were like, okay, so here's the, the ark, and here's the, and there's the animals, and like they did the whole thing, and and so I learned about the Bible, and I learned uh, reverence for God, um, in that context. My dad is so my dad. You're about to find out that my dad and I are different. My dad um, spent decades as a computer programmer for IBM. Can you say binary? Can you say black and white thinking? My mom was a graphic artist. Which one am I more like? Um, and so my dad, just he just thinks, like, yes, Jesus saved us. Yes, God is holy. Why would, any, like, why would you even have a doubt? Like, that's just his, that is his programming. And he gets the holiness of God. He is, has a, a deep reverence for God. The only time I ever remember him smacking me in the back of the head, ever. Like, I got my share of spankings because I earned them like a boss. But... 
getting that like that pop in the back of the head. I walked into my grandmother's church. We were visiting my grandparents, and I had a hat on, and I forgot to take my hat off. You're fine, Ryan. Don't worry about it. This is my dad's deal. <laughs> You'll hear the other half of my story in just a second and feel fine. Um, and so I walked into the and forgot to take my hat off, and I felt him pop me in the back of the head. I was like, oh, yes, sir, and took my hat off. So that's like, that's one stream of my existence of how I grew up. Now, my mom, graphic artist, she was a social worker. She's like, that's my mom. Um, in the 70s experienced this thing called the charismatic renewal movement. And so it was this move of the Holy Spirit that kind of swept through the country and people were discovering uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were discovering, um, particularly in, in some churches, that like between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 3, there's actually this other chapter <laughs> in there that talks about Pentecost. And it talks about God pouring his spirit out on the apostles. And they started speaking in other tongues. And everybody that was there, gathered around from all these crazy countries, started hearing the wonders of God in their own language. Like God did this thing to make himself famous. And so that thing started sweeping through the country in the 70s. And you got to remember, this is my Southern Baptist mother from Mississippi. Like you don't get more Bible Belt Southern Baptist than that. And God filled her up with his Holy Spirit and she started speaking in tongues and praying like crazy. And so I grew up with Southern Baptist, super reverent father. And when I say, mom, can we pray to this day? She's like, okay, I'm just going to pray in tongues for a minute. Shamalama ding dong, shamalama ding dong, shamalama ding dong. And like, she, she busts out in tongues. And, I, and I've just learned that like, that's, that's my mom's deal. And so I grew up, like you see, these are two streams of the church at large, right? Like you've got the, the super reverent, and then you've got the like, gifts of the Holy Spirit, let's get after it. And if either one of those get out of balance, it's problematic. But that's like, that's two legs. And so like, if you try to spend your whole life on one leg, it doesn't work so well. So I had the incredible blessing of growing up with those two streams. But I'm still a Baptist kid. So um, I, I go to college, um, and there was this band that I absolutely loved called The Violet Burning. That's the usual reaction nobody's ever heard of them. Um, and they were playing at a music festival in Atlanta. And so like, this is how much of a youth group nerd I was. My first job was at a Christian bookstore. I, like, I'm that guy. And so I go see this band play. And uh, they were out of this church called the Anaheim Vineyard out in California, and they come out and they start playing. And I loved their music, loved their music, but I didn't know what I was in for. And so they come out, they walk out on stage, they all have their hair dyed black. Oh, by the way, 1992. Just get there. <laughs> their hair is dyed black, they have black t-shirts and black jeans. They take off their shirts on this Atlanta night outdoor concert, because uh, it's blazing hot, and they have tattoos. <laughs> They had tattoos. Baptist kid, they had tattoos. Not now tattoos were like pastors are like, Root. no, it's like tattoos were not a deal in 1992 in the church. And so I'm kind of flipping out, but like I super love their music. Then the next lead singer literally pulls out incense, lights it, starts handing it out into the crowd. That's it. That's like I've lost my salvation. Like it's I can't be here. This is like, this is horrifying. And they start playing, and people around me, my age, so picture, like, this is, these are my people. These aren't my mom's people. These are my people. And people around me start doing this while they're singing. Their eyes are closed, and they're just singing. And I'm just like, huh. But I'm loving the music. And they get about three songs in, and I find myself with my hands in the air, and I'm just weeping. I normally make it through that okay. And God did some sort of 
whatever he does, column of light, love, oil, fire of the whole like, thing. I don't know. I, don't, I still don't know how to describe it. But he, just, he zapped me. Like he, something happened. And the, the course of my life changed. Um, so I went back to college, and I found out that there were like people with guitars. Like all I know is like the lady on this side is the organ, and the lady on that side is the piano, and there's people in robes, and they sing a hymn, and we all sing it like we're bored, and then we sit down, and then they preach, and then you go eat. And like that's what I knew. And there's these people with guitars, and they're singing this radical new song, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. And that's funny to about half of you. And, um, and I just, I can't figure out, like, what is this? And then I still remember this guy, he was older than me by like a year or two, so he was a spiritual giant. Because when you're 19, somebody that's 20, 21, it's like, man, you've got the world just figured out. So he's in the back of the room on the other side. His name's Christian Collins, not that one. And... Um, <laughs> And he's just got his, again, I'm seeing this like hands in the air, my, my peer. And he doesn't care that there's anybody in the room. He's just, he just loves Jesus. And he's going to sing to Jesus with everything he's got. So I started hanging out in basements of dorms with guitars. And we would grab song sheets and sit around and, and bang through some songs together. Nobody's leading worship. We were just singing. And, and then ended up at Bible studies at people's houses. And then it ended up um, three different nights a week somewhere or other, playing drums, playing guitar, singing, leading worship, whatever. I was involved in worship teams, worship three, three nights a week, nonstop, every week, um, flunking out of college. <laughs> I developed a fairly solid crossover. I learned how to eat pizza, and I learned how to lead worship. That's what I learned in college. Um, and so I left school, finally felt like God was moving me to Nashville. I moved to Nashville. I met uh, the pastor of our home church, uh, Steve Berger at Abercrombie & Fitch, where I was working before the catalog, before it got creepy. Just don't go there. It wasn't that bad then. Um, and ended up at Grace Chapel in a school cafeteria with speakers on sticks and um, started leading worship uh, every Sunday. And uh, so when I moved to Nashville, which was a whole nother God story, uh, it was 20 years ago today. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. So 20 years ago today. I moved to Nashville. Look at that. Come on, February 12th. Um, and so it hit me when I was like, man, I'm going to be there 20 years. Uh, and uh, yeah, so moved to Nashville and started leading worship at this tiny little church, Grace Chapel, and we've kind of grown up together. And there was this rec center where we would have youth group, and I did the youth group with this, this guy. Uh, we worked together, and there was this kid that would come to youth group sometimes, and she was kind of good at writing songs. And so this is weird for me. <laughs> Um, because these, like, we've grown up together. Um, and so that's been my life. And so when Jake said, um, hey, will you uh, come and talk about worship? I said, yes. But, like, anytime somebody says those words to me, I'm, I'm in. And so uh, I'm thrilled to be here this morning. And so we're going to talk about worship some. How about that? Y'all ready? Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Um, we're going to talk about what is worship. We're going to talk about why we do it and we're going to talk about some ways of how to do it. And so a great place to start when you're defining something is with definition. So Webster's says this, worship is reverence offered a divine being uh, or a supernatural power. It's also an act of expressing such reverence. It's a form of religious practice with its creed and its ritual. So like what we're doing this morning, that's kind of our creed and ritual. We're gonna sing some songs, we're gonna pray. We're gonna talk about God's word, we're gonna love each other. Like that's, that's our creed and ritual. It's extravagant respect. Remember what I said about my dad? Extravagant respect or admiration for 
or devotion to an object of esteem. So that's how, like, that's our English language definition of this word worship. Now I want to look at how does the Bible define worship. When you're, when you're wanting to know stuff about a word in the Bible, one great thing to do is just to say, like, man, where's the first time that thing showed up? Um, I think it's called the law of first appearances is like a fancy way to say that, but it's basically like I'm going to go into eSword and type in the word and see where the first spot it shows up. So I did that when I was studying about worship one time and found out uh, that it shows up very, very early in the Bible, and I was actually pretty surprised by where this word showed up. Before I uh, read the scripture of where it is, I want to tell you what it means. The word is shaka in Hebrew. Not sure if I'm even in the neighborhood of pronouncing that right. It means uh, to depress, that is to prostrate yourself, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down, to humbly beseech, to, to worship. And so you, you get the picture of it. It's that, it's that Old Testament, like, God, you're holy. I'm not. I'm on my face. That's incredibly cute. I have ADD, by the way. Um, and the kids just walked by, and that's the second time they've done that to me, so I had to say something. I don't ever get to see my kid walk by during church. So, And we're back. Okay. <laughs> And so that picture, that Old Testament picture of just like on your face, like uh, the book of Isaiah, like God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like he's, Isaiah's terrified in the presence of God because God's holy. So it's, it's that thing. Okay, first time that this word is used, I'm going to read you a, a scripture passage. I think, do we have this one, Alex? Yes, let's throw that. There it is. Look at that. Uh, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall show you. I'm going to jump back here. And uh, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. The first time the word worship is ever used in the Scripture is Abraham being tested by God and being asked to sacrifice his son. And what Abraham referred to that as was worship. That's exactly what I did when I saw that. Now, you guys know who Isaac is, right? This, this isn't like the kid that Abraham had. It was like one of his 12 sons when he was 25. This was the, like he's an old man. God promised this kid. He waited and waited and waited, made huge covenant promises that were going to come through this kid. Finally, even after Abraham blows it and has another kid with someone he shouldn't have even been with. And like God's still faithful to himself and provides Isaac. Isaac represents miracles. He represents promises. He represents calling. He represents purpose. And Isaac's his son. And God says, give me that. Abraham says, I'm going to go worship. Like We could stop right there. I'm going to go worship. So that's the picture, one of the pictures of Old Testament worship. We're going to switch over to the New Testament. There's a word in the New Testament uh, called, pro, it's a proskuneo. Will you say it with me? Proskuneo. It's just fun to say. New Testament worship. It has all those other pictures. Remember like the on your face, down before God, God, you are holy and I am not. It has all of that in the word. There's one added image to it. It's the picture of a dog licking his master's hand. 
So just get the dog people. Anybody a dog person? What's your dog do when you go out and get the mail and then you come back inside? <gasps> Where have you been? I missed you so much. The cat people were like, I know, it's weird. But, so it's that picture. So can we show the, get the video? Let's just, I just want to share this with you. Name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. <laughs> My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> so I wanted to start with that one because I knew as soon as I went, Doug, you were all going to go, Squirrel! And so we had to get that out of the way. But did you get that? Like, I just met you, and I love you. Okay, let's see the other one. Second video. You're my dog, aren't you? And I'm your master. You're my master. <laughs> New Testament worship. There's New Testament worship. Like at first he's kind of like, and then he flips out. So what happened? You're not going to get this, the answer to this question wrong, by the way. What happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What changed? Jesus. Best Sunday school answer ever. Jesus. Jesus happened. And we watch how we worship literally change from I'm terrified on my face to like we become Doug. Now, Here's something important. One of the times I talked about this, and somebody got an interpretation out of this that I never saw coming. And his interpretation was, so you're saying I'm a dog? Huh. Not positionally. No. We're sons and daughters of the king. It's just that picture of worship, of just joy and freedom and wonder. And I'm so excited. And I can't, can I be in your house? I can be in your house. You're going to be in my mat. Like, it's that. So that's New Testament worship. So... Um, if we combine those things and we the, see the def different definitions combined, we see that worship is sacrifice through Abraham and Isaac. Um, if you want a New Testament example of worship as sacrifice, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So worship is sacrifice. It involves humility. It involves reverence. And it involves joyful celebration. All right, is that a solid definition? Got your brain wrapped around it a little bit? Okay, let's move on to why do we worship. Um, God is not needy. God is not taking selfies and hoping that he's going to get a bunch of likes on Instagram. He doesn't need us to worship him because he's got emotional problems. He's not insecure. So why do we worship? Why does God want us to worship? We start uh, at, at the spot. Anybody that's a parent in here will get this when your kids ask, but why? Do, why? why, Jake? Why do I have to do it? Because I said so. <laughs> God's worthy of worship. He's in charge. He made us. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So first, God's worthy. Like, he deserves it. Second, God is good. Now, this one kind of freaked me out for a while. He's like, good's really the biggest word you could come up with? Like, he made the whole universe, and you're going to call him good. Not great, not super awesome. No, so God is good. And what that means is that he, like everything that is good is God. Like he's goodness, purity, holiness, everything wonderful is God. Psalm 106.1 says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Quickly, just a third thing. Worshiping God is good for us. Now remember, he's worthy. He didn't have to make it this way. Like it, he could say worship me and he deserves it the end. But he, for some reason, out of his loving kindness, decided that us worshiping him actually ends up being good for us. 
Um, there's a story in the Old Testament of this big old mean, massive army that's going to come and attack Israel and just whip them, and the, Israel doesn't have a prayer. They don't have a hope. And then uh, the king, Jehoshaphat, another fun name to say, uh, says this, And when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, they were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people that were coming to attack them, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. So they're facing an army that cannot be defeated, and their military strategy is, hey, guitar players, altos, out in front of the army you go. And they went, and they praised the Lord, and the enemy got so confused, they turned on themselves and were destroyed. Like God did the fighting. They did the worshiping. And so when you're facing an army that you can't beat, when you're facing a situation that you can't get yourself out of, then often you need to pick up the tool of worship and go to work. So for me personally, here's just a quick personal example of how this plays out in my life. Years ago, had a super scary experience. Remember, Baptist kid, suburban kid, nothing ever happens bad to me. Me and God got a deal. Like that was my thinking. And so uh, I was going to see a friend sing, got out of my car. There were four young men from the neighborhood behind me. They I turned around. They were pointing a gun at me. They took my car. They took my keys. They took my wallet. They took my phone and sent me walking into the scary neighborhood by myself. Baptist kid, suburban kid, that's a bad day. And it sent me into a season of panic attacks that were becoming more and more and more paralyzing as the days went. And uh, I eventually went out and met with a counselor somewhere and kind of worked through it, and she helped me process through it, and there was a lot of underlying stuff. But the bottom line is, when that thing still sometimes comes, just that sense of blinding terror that comes for no reason out of nowhere, it's not explainable, I can't think my way out of it. I can't Bible verse my way out of it. The only path that I've ever found out of it is worship. If I will just start to praise the Lord and to worship him in the beauty of his holiness, what I experience is like he fights the battle. He deals with the situation. I just look at him and worship him. And all of a sudden, okay, my heart rate goes down and I start breathing normally again and I'm not thinking that somebody's going to kill me and like it all just settles back down. And so whatever your mountain is, whatever your thing you're fighting or facing, try bringing worship into it and just watch what God can do. Okay, so we talked about what worship is, talked about why we do it. Um, we're going to move on to like a four-point uh, how to worship. How to worship in four easy steps. Now, this is not exhaustive even a little bit, obviously, right? We're going to spend forever in heaven worshiping before his throne, like over and over and over. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Repeat, like it's on a loop, literally right now. That's happening nonstop. Um, so we're not going to exhaust the methods of worship or how to do it. But I want to walk you through um, just something practical that's been beneficial for me. So the first step of this is rehearse. The second step is to receive. The third step is respond. And the fourth step is rest. I'm actually going to now have Caleb come finish this because he knows this better than I. Okay. If you have questions later, Caleb really knows this like the back of his hand. So you can hit him up. Okay. Step number one. Anybody remember? Rehearse. Oh, come on with it. Um, rehearse. Why do we rehearse? We rehearse things that we want to know. So we got together this morning with some songs and we rehearsed them because we didn't want to come up here when you guys had gathered and not know what key we're doing the songs in and not know when we're going to do the bridge and not, it would have been a mess. And so we rehearse things that we want to know. And um, 
It helps unify us. It helps get us ready. And so that's, that's kind of in a musical setting. It's the same thing with, with a team, a football team practicing. Like, you've got to practice. You've got to rehearse to be ready. And so the first step uh, of this process is rehearsing who God is. You rehearse things you want to know. Now, here's a couple of tools for doing this. One is actually the names of God that are listed in the Old Testament. And you can, like, Google names of God, Hebrew names of God, and you're going to end up with this, this list. One of the amazing things about Hebrew words is they have meaning. Like, a name isn't just a name. It means something. So I'm just going to go through a quick list here. But I would encourage you, like, look this up. Spend time with it. Start to learn these things. Uh, El Shaddai means the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Lord Most High. Yahweh means Lord. That's the, like, the big all caps Lord God, the I am that I am. Uh, Jehovah Nisi is the Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra'a, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Tzidkanu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Savoeth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Um, Chris Tomlin put this in the song, and instead of translating it that way, he said the God of angel armies. It's Jehovah Savoeth. And so you can get those things, like you've got to get them in you. And you just rehearse them, you rehearse them, you get those things inside you. Um, another way to do this is through looking at both what God, who God is through his names and through scripture and then what God does. So we've looked at his names. Another thing you can do, um, if you do a, a Bible search, Esort, or any other kind of uh, concordance program, what I did to find these next list of verses is I literally put in the phrase, the Lord is... You do a phrase search. Oh, man, it's a treasure hunt. So you can rehearse these things. The Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. You feel something even starting to happen. It does to me every time I do this, as this stuff starts kind of washing over me, and it's just like, oh, hey, hey, God. Hey. Okay, so rehearse who he is. What about what he does? So I did a search for the Lord will. Phrase search for that. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. For the Lord will not forsake his people. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Got a good list of things to rehearse, yeah? About God so that we know him. Step number two, you ready? Step number two is to receive. You can know things, right, that you don't receive for yourself. Uh, so we need to receive all of the things that we just experienced, that we just rehearsed. Uh, King David had received the truth about who God was. Um, several of those things we just read were Psalms of David. Now, my mom showed me a trick when I was younger to take Psalms uh, where, where the word my appears, the Lord is my 
shepherd, the Lord is my rock, and to put my name, to say my name in there. I'm going to do a little bit of this. It's super weird to do it in front of other people and kind of uncomfortable. Um, but I'm just going to show you so you can get the concept. The Lord is Jonathan's rock and Jonathan's fortress and Jonathan's deliverer, Jonathan's God, Jonathan's strength, in whom Jonathan will trust, Jonathan's shield and the horn of Jonathan's salvation, Jonathan's stronghold. You start putting yourself into those verses and start receiving those truths personally into your heart. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read those. I'm going to put my back in it. But as I'm doing it, why don't you guys close your eyes. And everywhere you hear my, just in, inside, just say your name. Just say your name. I want you to pay attention to what happens in your heart. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed am I when I trust in him. The Lord is near to me when I have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Feel something stirring in your heart, kind of buzzes in your heart. It's that, it's that desire to do the next step. I would encourage you this week to grab Psalm 91. Psalm 91 and plug yourself into that thing. And just look and receive how God feels about you, what he does for you, who he is. The first two steps to rehearse and to receive are really the gas in our tank. Worship happens at step three. So we fueled up our tank. And probably what some of you are even feeling right now is you want to do step three, which is to respond. That's where worship happens. Worship is response. All of worship, all of biblical worship is response. We don't, we don't worship God first. Um, to give you a non-spiritual, well, maybe spiritual for some of you, example of this. I was watching a football game this season, and Tennessee beat this team called Florida. Florida Gators. I don't know if that was a big deal, but Jones seemed to think it was a big deal. He bowed down and wept with passion, and the stands went completely bonkers, and people were standing with their hands in the air and shouting because we were responding to victory. I was flipping out in my house. I'm not even a Tennessee fan, and I was flipping out. It's like, they beat him because it was so great. Like, we respond. We respond to wonderful things. That's what worship is. One other example. I don't know if you've seen him yet. If you see literally the cutest kid ever running around, red curly hair, looks like my wife, that one's mine. Um, that's Luke. So Luke got so used to Allison, who's my wife, Allison and I telling him that we love him, that somehow he skipped past learning how to say, I love you. And Luke would always say, I love you too. So like if he was going to walk up to Jake and he's super excited to see Mr. Jake, and he wants to tell Jake that he loves him, and Jake hasn't said a word, Luke would walk up and say, I love you too. <laughs> because it's response. Luke gets that worship is a response. Worship, if you want to break it down really simply, is us looking at God and saying, I love you too. Because we love God because he loved us first. How good is that? So if any of you ever felt the pressure like that you're in a setting like this and we're up here, we're singing and we're just going for it and you're like, I should really, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. God, I'm going to worship you. But it's not response. It's you and like it feels like an effort, right? 
Now, I'm not saying that worship is never effort. I'm not saying that worship's never a choice. It starts at sacrifice. But if we lose sight of the fact that what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus and we're responding to him, then worship just becomes what a, like service based on that I'm trying to do a thing or a song based on I'm trying to do a thing or I'm giving my tithe because I'm just trying to do a thing I'm supposed to do instead of response to Jesus. And it ends up lifeless fast. So we've got to remember that worship is response. Um, the words, the Hebrew words and Greek words, again, in the Bible help us. This is, this is a treasure hunt worth going on. If you look up the words for praise and for worship in the Old Testament, you find all kinds of stuff. I think in our modern church culture, we really have come to think that worship is music and that they're synonymous. Worship is not music. Music is a tool that can be used for worship. Like a hammer is not a house, right? A hammer is a tool you use to build a house. You can also use a saw. I'm not a carpenter. I'm going to stop there before I make a fool of myself. Um, so there are all these different ways. I'm about to list a bunch of different ways that you can worship. These are all literally from Hebrew words in the Old Testament for either praise or for worship. Kneel. You can shine. You can make a show. You can be foolish. You can play a stringed instrument. You can sing. You can extend your hands. You know, this isn't like just a thing people do in charismatic churches because we all just do it. Like it is one of the Hebrew words for praise involves extending a hand. It's a biblical model for worship. Um, you can speak. You can address in a loud tone. You can sing in a choir of worshipers. You can strive after. You can seek. You can draw near. You can be set apart. You can pray. You can serve. You can battle. You can burn incense. Apparently that band from California wasn't nuts. And you can bow. Who in this room is tone deaf and cannot sing? Raise them proud. <laughs> Did you hear that whole other list of things that you can do? Jake, are you glad that preach and pray and serve are in there and make a loud noise? Like, there's some really good news in there. Uh, so you don't, you don't have to be a singer. You don't have to play an instrument. What you have to do is respond to God with a heart of humility and reverence and service and sacrifice. That's worship. Okay, that's how we respond to God. Um, when we respond to God, something remarkable happens. I already talked about it some earlier, right, that, that my weapon is worship. This remarkable thing happens uh, when we respond to God, that we experience his presence in tangible ways. We experience the blessing of his nearness. And so the last step in this four-step thing um, is to rest, it's to rest in his presence. Now, I want to talk for a second about presence. Have any of you, like, lately in the last few years, there's been a lot of songs about God's presence. We need your presence. We want your presence. God, send your presence. We're going to live in your presence. All these presence songs. Have any of you had this thought? God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, all the time. Why are we asking for God's presence? Raise your hand. Right? Why are we singing this? He's here. Why are we? It's like, Jake, come here. Sit on the front row. 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 He's on the front row. Why are you yelling at Jake? Okay, so there's two types of presence. There's omnipresence, right? God's here. He's everywhere. And then there's this thing called manifest presence. It's also called special presence. Um, and so it's the thing, like in the Old Testament where they were worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden the glory of God fell, 
and the priests couldn't even do their thing. Like, imagine that God showed up in such a way right now that we're just all on our faces. We can't do anything. That's God's manifest presence. Um, Here's one more Luke story to explain this concept. Um, So Luke uh, would do this thing, like if he would wake up, and he wasn't like super upset, but he just kind of was moderately upset, and he would still be in his crib, and I would just hear, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Remember? Just like... And he would, you might have been asleep, actually. Good for you. Um, And he would just do it over and over. And I would go in, and Luke would literally be standing in the dark, just holding onto the crib. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Luke knew that I was in the house. Omnipresence. He needed me in his room. Manifest presence. So when we're asking, God, send your presence, I want to be in your presence, uh, what we're talking about is both experiencing his, like, you are here, omnipresence, the incredible peace of that, and, Lord, I, I, I need you closer to my crib right now than I did earlier. Like, I, I need to know that you're right here. Uh, Matt Chandler preached a sermon called Under the Faucet that, if you want to listen to it, it's fantastic. And what he talks about is that we can't do anything to cause the manifest presence of God to come. Literally, there's nothing we can do to cause it. That is a God thing. What we can do is get under the faucet. Like, it's up to God to turn it on or off. But, like, if you want some water, you're just going to wait. You're going to wait till he turns that thing on. Now, there are some things that we see in Scripture that are related to getting under the faucet. So, we're clear? I'm not talking about manipulating God into showing up. I'm saying this is how we get under the faucet. Uh, Psalm 22.3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Psalm 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It also says in Psalm 100, We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. And then it says we enter into his presence with singing. He has attached this corporate biblical worship to getting under the faucet. That's how we position ourselves to experience the manifest presence of God. And so as we worship... We do that thing, and then I want to show you what happens in his presence. Just a few things. The mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. In God's presence, times of refreshing come. We experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the presence of the Lord. Enemies fall and perish. We are blessed forever and exceedingly glad. We are hidden in the secret place of God's presence from the plots of man and the strife of tongues. I don't know if y'all need any of those things. I need all of those things. I face mountains that I, man, it'd be fantastic if that just turned straight up into wax. Uh, I need refreshing. When enemy, the enemy and enemies come against me, like I need them to fall and perish. I need to be hidden in the secret place of God. New Testament examples of this being in presence, uh, God's presence, experiencing his manifest presence. The disciple John, the apostle John, at the Last Supper. You remember where he described that he was? He was just leaning right on Jesus' chest. So we can read past that stuff really quickly, but like imagine like you've got your head on somebody's chest. Just go there in your mind for a second. What are you experiencing? Your heartbeat, and as they're breathing, like he was that close. John heard the heartbeat of Jesus as he rested in his presence. What about the Mary and Martha thing? Remember, Martha's all like in the kitchen, 
getting everything done, rocking it, and then rebukes Jesus for not yelling at her sister and saying, Mary needs to help me. And Jesus is like, no. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. She was sitting in his presence. And she was going to rest right there. And there was not a casserole dish or anything else that was going to get her to move. She knew that's where she needed to be. And Jesus confirmed it and said, no, she's chosen the better thing. She's chosen the better part. She's right where she needs to be. What happens when we rest in God's presence? We talked about it with John. Mary's in the right place. Like imagine, did Jesus, now this is like imagination stuff, but did Jesus say some things to Mary when she was sitting there that nobody else heard? If he said anything in the room, Martha missed it. She's in the kitchen. And so Mary gets a revelation of Jesus resting in his presence that her sister might have missed. John understands the heartbeat of Jesus because he's resting right there in his presence. And so the last part of this process, this four-step thing, is we go back to rehearsing. Because John can now, years later, maybe on the Isle of Patmos, and he's writing the book of Revelation, and he's in exile, and he can go, I remember your heartbeat. Like, I miss you, but I remember your heartbeat. Mary, in the years after Jesus left, could remember the feeling, the tangible feeling of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you can rehearse those things. So the things that God reveals to us in those moments where we rest, now we've got something new to rehearse about him. Okay, so guy points a gun at me, takes my car, I freak out. That story. What I found out when I walked, did the work and went to a counselor was I thought I had a deal with God that if I'm a good boy and I go to Sunday school, everything's going to work out and nothing bad's ever going to happen. Now, I found out apparently that was a one-sided deal and God never made that deal with me. Aslan's good, but he's not safe, right? Narnia, me, okay. Um, and so what I, what I realized is I'm really struggling with trusting God because I thought we had a deal and now it looks like we don't have a deal and the mean guy pointed a gun at me. And so I had to go on this journey of seeking God and being with him and being at his feet and worshiping him and learning, you were there the whole time. What God revealed about that moment is when somebody about as far away from me as Jake is was pointing a gun at me, God showed me I was between you and him. Like I was, I was there. You can trust me. But I wouldn't have gotten there without worshiping and seeking him and resting in his presence and doing the work. And I found out like after the scariest thing in my life ever happened, oh, now I can trust you more than I thought I did before. Like, I thought I trusted you. Now I do trust you more than that because of what he showed me, because of what he showed me in that moment. Um, Jake, I have no idea when the service is supposed to end. Awesome. Okay, 18 more points. Hope you brought a snack. We're actually, we're actually there. Okay, so um, the thing that I learned um, in a house, and Jake was there, and I think Bob and Diane might have been there, is when you're talking about stuff, you need to make it clear, you need to make it concise, and you need to make it applicational. I hope the first two have been accomplished. Um, here's the third one, application. What do we do with this? What do you do with this when you leave today? Um, you could start by asking some questions. What do you need to sacrifice? What's your Isaac? What, what's your thing that you're not really willing to lay down? What is that thing? And start by saying, Jesus, it's yours. Whether you give it back to me or you don't, because Abraham didn't know for sure. Whether you give it back to me or you don't, 
It's yours. I'll make the sacrifice. Uh, what do I believe about God, who He is and what He does? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about who He is and what He does? How can I respond to God this week? What can I do to respond to Him? Maybe I sing like a fool in my car when nobody's listening. Maybe I find someone to serve. Maybe I pray. Maybe I dance and I shout. Maybe next week in worship, you go from being this guy to like this guy. Like, I'm just, it's like, that's as far as that joker's going, God, but it's yours. I'm going to lift the hand right there. Uh, I was teaching a class one time at church and I was talking about the word about lifting up your hands. And somebody in the thing says, Man, I want to lift my hands in worship, but I can't. I said, well, you can. I said, do this. He did. I said, see, you can do it. And there, but there was something blocking that like he thought he couldn't. So like, take a risk. Like, what's your, what's your thing that you're not normally going to do or you're worried about what somebody thinks? And do that thing. Um, and then just practice these four R's. Some of it was right there, but, but rehearse who God is. Rehearse what he does. Receive it Personally, for some of you, that's going to be the spot right there that you bump into. They're like, God, I know you love all these other people. And you say you're loving. Not sure that you love me. I think you like me and kind of tolerate me and let me hang out, but you're not crazy about me. So like, you, you may bump in right there into receiving. Then you respond, and then take some time. Find a way this week to worship the Lord and then just to rest. Like, shut it all down. Get away from your phone. Like, this may be two minutes, maybe all that you can find. Like, Jesse, I'm assuming this is not the easiest part of this process for you to find time for. Like, when you've got young kids, this isn't super-duper easy. But, like, find two minutes somewhere just to, okay, I'm just going to stop. And, God, I just want to listen for your heartbeat. And then just see what he might reveal about himself just in that moment of rest. And then take that thing and start it over. Caleb, I'm realizing this really should have been the five R's this whole time because you have to repeat. Or the six R's, it could be rinse, repeat, but that's weird. Um, so maybe just five. Rehearse who he is, what he does. Receive it personally. Respond to him. Rest and repeat. Loop it. Start the process over.